Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be breaking down the results from the Toronto Regional Championships, where one of us did pretty well at the event. I'll let you guess which one of us that was. And then we're going to have, of course, everyone's favorite segment, Guess That Flavor Text. And we're closing out this week's episode by chatting about Paradox Rift, our early thoughts, some of the cards we're most excited to try, some old decks that we think have new life breathed into them, and also some existing decks that, you know, are already existing in our current meta that get a little bit better or maybe even get worse with the new set. We'll give all of our thoughts on kind of these early opinions and more on this week's episode. And then, of course, we're going to have our additional Patreon exclusive bonus episode if you are not checking that out every week and you want to support us, we uh, encourage you to do so. It's a great way to support us, but then also get a little bit of extra content from us over at the same time. So the place to do that is over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncommon energy podcast. My name is Chip Ritchie joined here as always by my friend and co-host Azul GG coming off a top four finish in Toronto. Azul, how we doing, man? How you feeling after two tournaments in a row of pretty strong finishes? Uh, feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of those things where it's like I definitely wasn't like worried. You know, the first two tournaments of the season I dropped, but it doesn't really, oh, it doesn't get to me at all anymore. To be honest, going into the season, like my mental state is probably the best it's ever been, or uh, just kind of handling my poor finishes, but then also like not. I guess I get it also at the same time. I'm not as overly enthusiastic about my good finishes either. I have like a very tempered, yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tempered outlook on the game right now. And I'm really just like invested a lot of my mental, um, mental energy or mental thoughts into just like, uh, a group's process more so than anything. And that's kind of what I care about more so than anything. I even mentioned like on the stream today, like I, even if I, you know, probably not dropped <clears throat> or something, I guess, along these lines. Like, not if I dropped every single tournament this year. Obviously, that would probably indicate something else as far as my play goes. And I think I definitely, the first two tournaments of the year, I think I definitely played more poorly than I did with the following two uh, following two tournaments. Well, I think I played pretty good with Gardvor at Peoria, but, like, it's just, uh, Gardvor is just, like, a, a it's a tough deck to pilot through, but the best out of 350 minutes, it's just really tough to handle that. Um, but I definitely played poorly at uh, Pittsburgh. I definitely I feel like I played better overall, but as long as like the, it feels like the, the team is doing well, the group is doing well, and our process is still working, that's what I'm kind of more invested more invested in than anything. So even if I'm not top 18, you know, if I'm still making day twos, 32s, 16s, but Caleb or Grant or even you when you play, which won't be very often this season, uh, probably is at least doing well. That's kind of what I'm more invested in, I think, overall. So like if I'm dropping or making top eight to me is kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe at this point, maybe part of it at all, I, kinda, I feel like I've almost done everything in the Pokemon TCG. I still want to win more, but uh, I just, I'm just i not overly enthusiastic about another top eight, to be honest. <laughs> like, I feel so weird to say. Come on, bro. Little, yeah. <laughs> you went 9-0 I mean, in day one. That was, was kind of cool, I guess. 18-0 in your games as well. Is that right? Like, didn't drop a single yeah. game day one? I don't know if that's ever been done before. I don't think it has. Yeah, I went eighteen. I went nine and zero day one, eighteen and zero in games. I mean, nine and zeros don't happen that often. I doubt the eighteen and zero has ever happened before. But I don't know. Hedrick had a couple nine zeros last season. I don't know if Hedrick mm -hmm. had an eighteen and zero though. Um, so yeah, I doubt that's ever happened before. Might be the only time it ever happens to be honest. Um, 
little bit of an anomaly there for sure. <clears throat> but it's pretty cool. That's what Caleb was saying too. I wasn't like too hyped about going nine and zero. And even though <laughs> Caleb was trying to hype me up to try and go nine and zero day one, I was like, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Like I, my goal is to win the tournament, whether I go six to one and get top eight or start nine zero and get top eight. If I don't win, then like you know, to me in my head, it's feel like that's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. Um, so, but it was cool. Yeah, nine and zero. And then once I like kind of realized I went nine and zero, and I was like thinking back on my games, I was like, wait, I don't think I dropped a game. I remember like thinking about it the end of day one. I was like, I don't think I dropped a game actually in day one. And unless uh, one of my opponents wants to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I two owed all my opponents in day one. Um, and then we uh, need to get you need to make a T-shirt to give all your opponents <laughs> that says I got two owed by Azul GG. <laughs> <laughs> but uh is this guy yeah because then but then the first round day two i got two owed by uh felipe who i beat in round nine the day before which is uh you know <clears throat> i was like yeah i was like uh you know i wasn't invincible <laughs> it was definitely like a little bit of reality check for the tournament i was like what he, if i just he went does I, bleed he is yeah, mortal yeah. <laughs> i went oh two to start the to start day two but back and forth a little bit in day two winning and losing some and then made, making it pretty comfortably into top eight though at the end of it all yeah yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and as for me, I, I also played in Toronto, had a good time, uh, and I was feeling really good. I started five and one. I started three yeah. and zero, and then I played on stream, um, which I just have a really bad track record on stream. Like even back to the grassroots days, whenever I played on streams in the grassroots tournaments, I feel like I always remember losing. Um, so I don't know what it is. It's just. You get the maybe I'm maybe shit? I'm just a fraud, man. I don't know. <laughs> I just can't get the dub when the cameras are on. on stream. I know. I don't know that I played the best in my stream game, to be honest. I haven't gone back and watched it yet. I definitely will do that though. Um Kyle Sablehouse, who commentated it, talked to me a little bit about it afterwards. And we were talking about some of the potential options that I could have done in game two compared to what I did. And he's probably right. So I'm just gonna go back and watch it and see how I feel about it. But yeah, I started the... five and what's up? What was the matchup? It was Zard Mirror. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but in game two, I did choose to go first. Because mm. that was at the point in the day that we were still kind of... This was kind of a funny thing. Um, throughout the d- tournament day, our group was like talking... You know, we played Arvin Charizard for the tournament. We haven't said that yet, I guess. But we did play Arvin oh, Charizard yeah. for the tournament. Azul got top four with it. And overall, the group had a solid showing. Uh, Grant got the top 32, lost, tied and lost a win and in um and then caleb got top 64 losing his last round so overall like a pretty solid showing and i didn't like drop out of day one like i went six and three which isn't obviously like it's not day two but it's not like um terrible terrible by any means um so overall like a good showing for the deck but one of the things we were talking about throughout the tournament was to go first or second and depending on what the matchups were and With the Arvin Charizard deck, your outs to setting up just increase dramatically when you choose to go second because you can Arvin for battle VIP pass. And the fact that you can Arvin for VIP pass plus for a seal stone, I mean, the VIP pass turns into the Entei, the four seal stone turns into another VIP pass if you need it or whatever else you're wanting to set up in the future, or you just put the four seal stone in play so that if your opponent disrupts you, you basically have it for um, the next turn. That was something we were talking about a lot, and it kind of depended on the matchup, and we still weren't 100% sure, I feel like, in round four, and so I chose to go first, and by the end of the day, we decided that going second in Zardmir felt overall like the, the move. Um, so going looking back, maybe that would have helped me out a little bit, but 
that was kind of a fun uh between every single round it was like we were regrouping saying like okay i went first this felt like this happened and i went second this felt like this <laughs> happened you know <laughs> trying to figure yeah. it out on the fly yeah we had like a pretty good idea the night before when we talked through like every single yeah. matchup it was like yeah setting up you set up a lot better when you just go second and i'm actually curious to know how they were doing it over at Kurachiba um for all the all the players over there who played the Arvinzard list or even how other players have been playing it like the group massage smart um i think like cal connor and them all played it at peoria if they were choosing how often they were choosing to go second or not but um it definitely is one of those things that i've been talking about a lot more recently about like the idea of going second and i think a lot of people just like i don't even know like just the idea of going second is just so foreign uh in general because generally it is worse but i think there's a lot more matchups like i was surprised to see like a yeah, setup based deck like Charizard, where yeah. like in your good matchups, if you just set up, you, win. you should win. Even if you go second, you don't really care because it's sure you might not get the first attack off, but you're getting your setup right, which you might not get if you go yeah. first. Yeah, and then even like in the mirror match where it's like you can argue like, well, if you go first, you just get turn two candy Zard, which isn't that hard to do if you go first, and there's not as much pressure on you in like a mirror match. But like you know, getting to your next Zard, getting the Pidgeot plus the Zard. I definitely felt like going second overall in the mirror match was definitely beneficial. Like the amount of games I wouldn't have really played, um, ex but because I went second and had an arm for a battle of IP pass was like really, really high. Um, and it was funny though, even when I was choosing to go second in a couple of my matches, my opponent were still choosing to go first after I beat them in game one. Like I'd go second, um, choose to go second, I'd beat them. And then going into game two, they'll be like, I'll go first. And I was like, okay, that's fine with me. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, I think, it's really hard, and it has to be a pretty close percentage, because even if you look at it like in the Lugia matchup, Lugia wants to... It feels like Lugia wants to go first, right? But And usually but what you want Zard to do player, is you, you want to choose the opposite of what your opponent... Like, you want to make your opponent do the opposite of what they want to do, right? And yeah, it just so happens that most decks want to go first. So, because most decks want to go first, you want to choose to go first, right? Because you're yeah, and it, forcing your opponent to do what they don't want to do. Yeah, it's really interesting for sure. I'm not too sure. Like, it's really hard to like kind of nail it down and just be like, is it correct then for Lugia to choose to go second in that matchup? I feel like it is because the Zard players gonna have worse setup, and you're more likely to get the turn two double Archeops when you go second as well, right? Your turn two is more likely to have the double Archeops <clears throat> set up and everything like that. Zard player might have a rougher time going first. And then um, if a Zard player does have a good turn on the second turn, like the most they're going to do is 180 with a Charizard, right? Yeah, so they're not even doing like an aggressive knockout or anything you're trying to protect, right? They're not going boss KO uh, Archeops because there's no Archeops in play for them to boss anyways, right? So, um, and I, like in the terms of that, I, I was surprised to see Demi choosing to go first against um, JW in the finals because um, I think that's a matchup where Guardi should be choosing to go second like 100% of the time against Maridon. Like the Maridon player is always going to attack turn one. You're usually not doing anything until turn three as the Guard War player, which is fine. So you may as well just like, if the Marina player is always going to get the first prize card, let them get the first prize card after you've got to play a draw supporter to help yourself potentially set up more, right? And it's like the trade-off of like, well, maybe if you go second as Guardy, if you don't get the Iono, maybe you still get double VIP pass. And at that point, you're still set up and good to go, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you're going to have those some games where you only open like a Fog Crystal but plus an Iono. And if you go first, you're like, well, Fog Crystal for one Rawls pass. Uh, and sure, you do play the the um, was it the Mirage Step Curlia that does exist in your deck, but you may as well increase your odds of being able to use the Mirage Step by going second. Like they're always getting the first prize card, so just let them have their first prize card, but give yourself a better chance of being able to combat uh, whatever it is they throw at you, right? So <clears throat> that was a little bit of a surprise for me to see Demi choosing to go 
choosing to go first in that matchup. Um, but I, I think in general in the community, there's just like a a stigma, I guess, around going second. Because there's, I think there's a, a decent amount of matchups in the current meta where going second is correct for a couple decks. A lot of them are up against Maridon. Uh, and I guess just Arvin's art in general. I feel like you just want to be going second in the majority of your matchups. Except for like, I don't know, some lost box builds, of course. But um, yeah. Because yeah, when I mentioned it earlier in my chat that I was choosing to go second in pretty much every game. Um, pretty much, not quite all of them. Like you want to go yeah. first against Guard War, stuff like that. Like everyone in my chat was super surprised. GM, pal. <laughs> yeah. And I think that actually is one of the things that led me to go 18-0 on day one is I lost a lot of coin flips. But it just led to my opponent choosing to go first. And then because of that, because I lost the coin flip and didn't choose to go second myself, that means I won game one, and then my opponent chose to go first again. Because they, yeah. didn't, they didn't know I wanted to go second. So they didn't, even, they didn't even stop to think about it. Now, if I won the coin flip and I was like, okay, I'll go second, they'd be like, okay, what's going on here? He just chose to go second, right? But because they won the coin flip and we're like, I'll go first, then I beat them game one, and they're like, okay, I'll go first again. I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. And now they just don't know my secret. Like, <laughs> they never picked <laughs> up on it. Um... So yeah, it was definitely, it was just really interesting. And I feel like we haven't had a deck like Arvin's are in a while where your majority of your matchups, you're wanting to go second. Not even just like matchup. It's not even matchup based. It's going blind. If you don't know what your opponent's playing, you choose second. Um, we haven't had a deck that I feel like should be choosing blind second. Um, a maj uh, yeah, just choosing blind second. There are some matches where you do want to go first, like guard war and stuff. But you don't, if you don't know what your opponent's playing, you're choosing second because the vast majority of the time, just based on meta percentages, <clears throat> they're playing a deck you want to be second against. So in a while. All right. Well, we've already kind of started diving into Toronto, but before we yeah. get into it, our first real topic, quick announcement. We mentioned it at the end of last week's episode, but wanted to put it kind of early here in this week's episode. I say early, but we're already 14 minutes into the episode yeah. um, uh, that from here on out, we are going to be changing the upload day to Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Eastern. It ended up being kind of where we were in the past few weeks anyway, um, but we just wanted to kind of make it official. It just Kind of makes more sense with our schedules traveling for tournaments and stuff like that we have travel days most mondays and it's a lot to try to put out a podcast episode that next tuesday morning if we're traveling monday so this will put a little bit less strain on that and hopefully the wednesday will be a pretty consistent um time slot for us to be able to to make it happen so we'll be recording tuesdays and posting on wednesdays from here on out just so everyone knows yeah, I also feel like there's sometimes like some news that drops Mondays and Tuesdays that we then it's miss true. to include in the episode sometimes. But yeah, just like for consistency's sake, because, you know, travel like I would have like we if we had done if we had recorded plan to record yesterday, which was Monday, I would have been able to make it because I had to switch my flight actually because I made top four. I was originally going to be coming back on Sunday, but because I made top four, my flight, I, I was going to end up missing my flight. So I switched my flight to Monday um and then we would have missed recording on monday anyway so yeah <clears throat> just gonna make it wednesdays from now on or recording on tuesdays releasing on wednesdays because it'll be a little bit be a little bit more consistent all right and with that let's hop into the results from toronto regionals and we've already talked about the arvinzar deck that we chose to play a little bit but let's talk about kind of how we got to that conclusion because if anyone listens to last week's episode I wasn't like really hating on Arvinzard, but Azul, you were kind of, you weren't too sure about it. You were saying like, I didn't, it's I don't know that Arvinzard is a, uh, is a real deck that people should uh, be considering and stuff like that. So how, I feel like your opinion, obviously at this point has to have changed a little bit, kind of what to let led to that point for you uh, to where it was on the, you know, the map for you to choose to play it for the event. Yeah, I mean, it was really just a massive lack of results, right? Like, I hadn't been playing much with the deck at all. I don't remember the last time I played the deck. It might have been just after Kurochiba. 
um, when I played around with the Arvanzard build. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I played Arvanzard. Um, I think that that might have been it. Was the um, which is after Kirchi, but playing that build, and it felt good then. Um, but then you know I stopped playing it. <clears throat> I didn't think the deck was like overly broken or anything like that. I was like, okay, the deck's solid still. Um, I definitely think it's decent for sure. Um, but it's like nothing, nothing broken or anything like that. And um, didn't like play too much with it after that. And then like the continued popularity of it combined with the lack of results just kind of made me unconfident in the deck for sure. But I know like Grant is the one who was like really pushing for us to play mm-hmm. uh, Arvin Zard or Zard in general leading into the tournament, whether that be the Arvin Zard or like the Arceus build, which he had been more fond of earlier in the meta, but I definitely kind of fallen off the more he had played with Arvin's art he seemed to enjoy that build more which i think is definitely probably the better of the two builds just like you need less on your first turn yeah to, uh get to the next turn like getting the arceus out as well amongst everything else you want is just like one more pokemon on your bench right um it doesn't have like quite the uh the aggressive option of like the forest seal stone on the turn one which can be really really good as well so it was really it was like grant pushing for it the most so once we like got to the hotel room Went through our spreadsheet to determine, you know, what seemed to be the best deck just based on matchup percentages to kind of work around that. And then also, um, was it played some games. We also played through some matchups to try and confirm some percentages mm-hmm. that Grant was pretty confident in. <clears throat> and they definitely leaned a little bit more towards what he was saying. So put it all into the sheet. Charizard deck came out number one on the sheet. And it's not one of those decks where we had like a problem with playing it. There's been like a couple decks in the past, like uh, Broken Lugia, Pre-Rotation Lugia is a deck that, even though when it was winning the spreadsheet for us, we never wanted to play it because it's like, we don't want to play a bunch of mirror matches. That sounds miserable. And Gardevoir would have been another deck if it had won the spreadsheet. We wouldn't have played Gardevoir as well. But Charizard was one of those decks where it's like, it doesn't. we don't have any reason to not play it if it wins the spreadsheet. So it won the spreadsheet and we're like, okay, we will, um, we'll go ahead and play it. Yeah, and that's exactly what we did. And like we mentioned, overall, solid results from the four of us who chose to play the deck. I was the only one who missed out on day two, unfortunately. Um, I don't think I walked through kind of what the end of my day looked like. Ozul is on the phone. <laughs> okay. Um, Sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I went. So I started five and one. I started three and oh, then lost on stream. Went to five and one. And then I played against Ian Rob, who's playing Gardevoir. And Gardevoir is definitely beatable, but... Um, if they draw really well and don't make any mistakes, then there's not it's really tough. much you can do. You, you, it's a pretty tough matchup. Grant would say it's a good match. It's like a slightly favored Zard <laughs> matchup, but uh, maybe we, he just needs to have some more games put in to <laughs> see the yeah, truth. But yeah, I we'll, like 60, go ahead. 40 for Guardi probably, which isn't like that's like not what I think. Yeah, like 60 40 is like like if you play 10, and that's how I've been trying to think about like it uh, matchups recently is like if you play 10 best out of threes. Guardi probably wins six, Charizard wins four. Maybe it's like closer to seven, the 70 30. But like that's like six, losing six out of four or six out of 10 is really not that much. I mean, it's like a 60 40 is not like a really lopsided matchup. Yeah. I mean, even like 70 30s and stuff, right? Uh, you can roll 30% two times, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like you and I played that finals of that full grip, remember? Uh, I was playing the, <laughs> the Shadow Rider. You were playing Urshifu. That was a pretty good matchup for me, but, you know, Al Creamy Pass is pretty bad. And, uh, Sometimes you just roll the thirty percent two times in a best of three, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just roll the the thirty times as a three, something like that. And it's really, yeah, it's like not even that big of an extreme, to be honest. Like, uh, yeah, losing to even like a seventy thirty or something like that. It's gonna, I mean, it happens, right? It happens. <clears throat> it's part of the game. Then. Yeah, yeah. That's what exactly. makes card games card games, right? Like, if it was just 
calculated percentages, it would be way less interesting. <laughs> if you like, this is favored, I win every time. It's just, it would be way less interesting, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, started five and one, lost two, went to five and three, won the last one for some pity points, I guess. But yeah, six and three overall on my end. But that is uh, enough about our Arvin Zard deck that we played. Let's talk about what won the event and talk about the man that proved <laughs> us wrong. Azul J.W. Crewall winning his third regional championships. Flex Daddy Righteous rocking out with Mirai Don EX. Yeah, went back with the with the Don. A couple cards different, I think, from the list that uh, J.W. actually played at... Yoria, I might only be like two cards different. There's like a super rod and a super rod and a collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, which might be like the only what is the what are the differences here? Super rod collapsed, super oh, rod was over the right shoe. Uh the beach quartz aren't supposed to be in the other build, those are supposed to be escape ropes, and it's collapsed over a lightning. So the beach quartz in the old list are supposed to be escape ropes. That uh there was a necklace there. Uh and then so it's a it's a collapse over a lightning. And then a super odd over the right shoe. Fourth ultra ball over the second nest ball as well. Oh, that as well, yeah. Um, and yeah, actually, before we started recording, JW, uh, he was actually streaming a little bit tonight, and I was watching him talk about the deck building. That was kind of the piece of it that I caught in some of the cards that they chose to include in the deck for the weekend. I think Jesse Parker played the same 60, or if yeah. not, the same 59-ish, something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's like, ultra ball was just, really strong to get your lightnings in the discard pile you know if you're going to squawk ability turn one anyway you don't really mind discarding the extra cards as compared to nest ball and you really want to find flaffy so ultra ball gets you that nest ball doesn't and 13 lightning energy obviously hurts your early electric generators a little bit which is not great but it makes your later electric generators very strong and then you know in a deck like this where you're being pretty aggressive turn one with flaffies and researches you're going to discard some evolution pieces like Flaffy or Mareep, something like that. And you're going to want to get those back sometimes. Um, you know, only one Raichu in the list now, which is a change you made, I would imagine, in uh, reason because of the Super Rod. So that's yeah. a way to get that back. You can get back the one Zapdos if you attack with that in a matchup. That actually is what happened when JW and Grant played on the winning end. Grant <laughs> KO'd the Zapdos because uh, JW attacked with it, which is a, it's like a decent one-prize attacker if you can sneak that in there. Yeah um grant ko'd it and filled his bench because he was like all right now my intake can't get ko'd and then jw played super odd to get back to zapdos and grant was not pumped <laughs> yeah it's definitely a funny interaction uh but yeah, yeah so there's jw's list and he gets the dub with maridon yeah so yeah basically the same stuff also the collapse is really good against like lost box decks it is, as well yeah. um because you can like clean up something that was hit with a sableye or a cram or a Greninja play happened. Yeah, so it's like really good against like Lost Zone decks to be able to clean up your bench a little bit uh, and do away with some of those bigger liabilities uh, and that off was your something bench. Sometime. He he mentioned specifically with the decision to play the collapse was like if you look at Jesse Parker's final game against Estrada back in Pittsburgh. I mean, Jesse was one turn away from winning. Uh, was it both of the games? At least one of the games. He was one turn. One away. of them. Yeah. yeah, at least one. And it was like, if he just had collapsed to clean up that board, collapsed or penny, something like that, just some way to clean up yep. the board, he wins the game, like, guaranteed, right? Um, so That definitely matters a little bit more. I mean, like, Estrada did play Ogre, but, like, right. Estrada, if Estrada knows you don't have collapse, which I'm sure Estrada knew at that point, 
you just don't play around it. You don't have to play aggressively for the ogre, which can be a little bit more of a less predictable win con sometimes if you're getting judged and I own it a lot. Um, but against like the turbo build specifically, that's where the collapse shines a lot because they don't have the ogre option, right? So they can't even play heavily to just go down the mm -hmm. ogre route um, and then like just pick off two two prizers later in the game. Um, so the collapse is like really good against like the more turbo stuff where it's like they have two prizers themselves, but they don't want to be too aggressive with them because that's like what the the Maradon deck wants to see. They want to see you attack with like the Dragonite and the Raikou so they can hit you back and then like use our Iono to good efficiency. You want to try and build up some some damage and play with the Greninja and Sableyes and stuff, uh, and then the Collapse can take advantage of that as the as the game progresses. Yeah. So yeah, big congrats to JW getting the win with the Maridon. Um, proving, you know, just like power and consistency, even if your matchups maybe aren't always the best, you know, sometimes it's just strong enough to get you the win. And, you know, he would probably argue as well that the matchups are not as bad as maybe <laughs> we might make them out to be, which could be yeah. true as well, which could be true as well. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of like Mariah uh, before Toronto. I'm still not a huge fan of it now, but like I've said this before, and like I said this on my stream earlier when I was talking about, you know, just kind of Mariah in general. Of course, people were giving me, uh, uh, <laughs> giving me some flack for how much I've been hating on Mariah on lead up to the tournament. But I said this before. I think like you know, there's like 10 to 13 decks in the meta. Like I think our, our spreadsheet this time had like 13 decks on it. But like the point difference between the number one deck and the 13th deck is not that far. Um, like. Rhydon is, I think, still on the lower end of decks that I would want to play at a tournament. But, like, the difference between it being the number one deck and being the 13th deck is, like, not too far off, right? So you got a really good player like JW uh, playing. It's still a good deck, right? We're not we're not comparing Rhydon to something like uh, what I compare to, what I say earlier. We're not comparing it to, like, Reggie's or Hasuyan's or V-Star or something in the meta, right? We're comparing Rhydon to the other meta decks. And in, in my opinion, compared to them, I think it's a little bit weaker than the rest of them, but not not that not that much weaker, right? Obviously, good enough for JW to apply that all the way to the dub, right? <clears throat> and most of the time, it does. The biggest, the biggest factor of all of all in Pokemon is always going to be the pilot over the deck, right? So, for sure, W, great player. Mm -hmm. to play Mariah. Has been playing Mariah for a while. Still a good deck. It's the dub and got the dub over uh, Demetrius with uh, Bardi deck. Gardvor. So Gardvor getting its like it has it gotten like it always shows up in top eight. I feel like Gardvor always gets its top eight, or pretty much always gets its top eight. But yeah, how I far feel like it goes it's is... snuck in there most tournaments so far this yeah. this season. Toronto, for sure. there was one at Lil Fabian at Lil Sacramento. There was Ryan Harris uh, at Peoria. There was Brent Tonneson, <laughs> Kurachiba. There was Juan Andre. Um. I'm going to go back. Barcelona, there was a couple. We had toward Ian, Michael Hunter, Pittsburgh. No guard for Pittsburgh. None, right? No guard for Pittsburgh. Yeah. But it almost slips in there almost every single time. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, coming over from the UK, Demetrius played the guard for. Nothing special, though, right? Pretty standard, straightforward. It's, I think this is, might just be even the Brent Tonneson list, right? Yeah, um, it does have the... Doria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has the Mu EX, right? Which is kind of the... That'd be the exact same 60. Yeah was kind of the new thing that Brent was rocking. But yeah, other than that, is it the same 60? It would tell us right here. Right? It's one candy difference. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Minus, plus one candy, minus one ultra ball is the only change. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, strong list, obviously. Deck is pretty strong. Got the Mirage Step Curlio to save you from some slow starts. And it's also, also just kind of what you want to go for in some matchups as well. The Mu EX that can let you be aggressive um in a lot of different situations right and it's yeah uh, 
decent closer option against Charizard. You, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need it, I guess. It's a decent enough matchup for you anyway. Um, but yeah, you played Demetrius in top four. What did you think of his deck, his play, and I guess also like, you know, how did that game go in the top four that eliminated you from the tournament? Yeah, I mean, he played well. The Mew actually was relevant in game one. Game one was like really weird, where it was like, I needed Demetrius to whiff like a boss combo a couple turns in a row while I tried to like reset up my Radiant Zard to close out the game and like went mm-hmm. back and forth for a little bit. And then it was like Mew KO'd my Charizard. Um, I think for Demetrius to go down to one. And then if I had the Radiant Charizard response, then I would have won, but I just couldn't find my Super Rod plus like a Nest Ball at the end. So I wasn't able to quite, quite close it out if I remember correctly. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the matchup stuff, we did go to game three. All the games were pretty close except game two. Like, um, in game one, I almost snowballed game one out of control, but Demetrius was able to hit the reversal energy on like the final draw or something like that. I forget. Um, but game two, I like drew three prize cards before Demetrius had drawn a prize card. So Demetrius scooped pretty quickly in game two because I was just like a boss KO on Guardi X plus KO the active away from winning. So, mm-hmm. um, and then game three kind of went like game one, found the reversals. It still got pretty close at the end in game one. Game one was a little bit weird back and forth. I thought you were going like to snowball game three because your start was really good, but you started <laughs> Radiant Charizard. Yeah, I started Radiant Charizard. Also, my lone Charmander got KO'd too. I had I had a situation where it was like, if Demetrius gets the Candy Guardi Cresselia, they can... He can KO my lone Charmander, so I could have used my Forest Seal Stone to get another Battle VIP pass to get another Charmander, maybe a second Pidgey as well. But then I my hand is dead. So I was like, eh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to go pass, hope the Candy Guardi doesn't happen without the Cresselia. Uh, and he did find that combo, but that it made it a little bit awkward for him. Couldn't use reversals from there on out because took another KO on my... Which I think that was actually a mistake from Demetrius. Demetrius actually KO'd my Radiance Art on the following turn. So went Cresselia, KO my lone Charmander into KO my Radiant Charizard. I think Demetrius could have just used Cresselia again to set up some damage on the bench. Couldn't have quite gotten a knockout, but could have put something a little bit closer range or just like punched my active for 110 with the Cresselia. Just, but KO my Radiant Charizard gave me a lot of options on my next turn. And then it got pretty close from there, actually, which was interesting. Um, yeah, it was definitely interesting. The game three was interesting because it's like I opened really slow. My lone Charmander got KO'd, but then it didn't like put Demetrius in like a commanding lead at that point. There was still like definitely potential for me to make a comeback. And it yeah. almost happened, but not quite. Um, it definitely can be a tough matchup. Except the Gardevoir has just so much time. Like the Charizard player can draw the first two prize cards before Char- Guardi does anything, and even then, at that point, the Guardi is still like favored to win the prize trade if they draw decently from there. And then, of course, we've got you in the top four. We've got Christian Moreno with the Lugia. We've got Hermani with the Gudra. Back to back top eights for Hermani. Got it yep. done in Lille. Came over to Toronto. Got the top eight there. That's pretty cool. Pretty impressive. We got a pair of Chimpow here. Jake Riggs and Grant Shin with Chimpow. Grant Shin been on a tear with with that deck. <laughs> it's been what top eight, top sixteen, top eight, three tournaments yep. in a row for him. So that's pretty, pretty good. Cool. And then Dylan Gunn closes out top cut with the Lost Box. So decent bit of variety in top cut. Yeah, only one deck doubled up being the Chimpow. Other than that. A lot of variety, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but I think Gujar is probably the big standout here, right? Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, one thing we could talk about uh, is like, ooh, I don't know actually how many. There was not a colorless Lugia in top 32. They were all single strikes. All single strike Lugias in top 32. Um, in fact, the highest placing colorless Lugia was 60th from Christopher... Um, and the other ones under that, I don't even know. Yeah, even more of them were single strike past that as well. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, so Colorless had a really bad day. <laughs> had a really bad time. 
Well, it feels like a lot of people switched over back to yeah. the single strike Lugia, maybe anticipating Lost Box to be a bit more popular, right? Yeah. And I mean, Colorless is pretty good against. I don't know. Both of them are just pretty good against Lost Box, right? I don't even know if one is necessarily better than the other. So maybe I that's not single, even the reason. I think Single Strike is better against Lost Box, but like they're both good, I would say for sure. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of very good players choosing to play Single Strike too, right? If you look at for the players sure. who chose to play the Single Strike, the Christian Moreno, Gabriel Smart, Calvin Connor, Reagan Retzloff, you go a little bit further down, the next two Lugias were Rahul and Sam Chen, right? Like uh, the definitely the, the, the players who were choosing to play Lugia, Single Strike, <laughs> were definitely have a pretty high quality for sure. Um, and then there was a little bit of hate towards Lugia as well. The Gudras is pretty good against Colorless Lugia, not as good as against Single Strike Lugia, especially if they were playing the Urshifu like Christian uh, and Reagan were. Not everyone was playing the Single Strike Urshifu though. Uh, and then also there was some Arceus decks with Duraludon. Christian Labella got ninth with Arceus Duraludon. So there's also some more hate in general towards Lugia, but more specifically, I guess. It hits the the colorless Lugia a little bit harder than it hits the single strike Lugias that have the Urshifu, right? Yeah. But probably another reason too. Um, I don't think it would have been unreasonable, and is probably this is probably what people were expecting is would have been for Charizard to go down and play a little bit, and that's single strike Lugia's worst matchup, right? And even if Charizard didn't yeah. go down and play, like you talked about last week, it was not having the results, right? There wasn't converting super well into day two there was no top eights right so it's like if you just start pretty well maybe you're not gonna hit too many charizards and so that's kind of maybe the dice roll decision from many of the players who chose to roll with a single strike lugia which um you hit a few i think in your run right i think all of us hit at least a couple single strike three (laughs) and none of them had cobalion so although i don't know how much cobalion changes the matchup to be honest because then like it puts a lot of pressure on the Lugia player to hit like a lot of one of KOs in a row. Cause like they, you could put the Cobalion down, you get the one of KO T-Tar and then you just return knockout one of KO the T-Tar and then they have to do it again. Right. Right. Um, so it's not even like super likely for the, the, the Cobalion doesn't actually like make it favorable all of a sudden or something. It gives you like a better shot cause you have more routes to take. So it's always going to help. Um, but it's not like it drastically improves the matchup or like all even gets it close to like 50, 50. I don't think for Dude, the, the Lugia player. My round one opponent was playing Cobalion in single strike Lugia, and he almost uh-huh. did that. He almost did the Cobalion <laughs> play twice in a row. He had a urn in his discard pile, and so I like knocked out his T-Tar. I was like, all right, I'm vibing. And then he goes double urn from hand after the gift energy. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. And then he goes nest ball, and I'm like, oh, no. But his second T-Tar was prized. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. So I was like, "Ooh, thank you." <laughs> yeah, the Gudra, uh, the Gudra is like a deck that I just wish I had been able to spend more time playing, to be honest. Um, but Hermani proving like once again, it's good enough to get top eight, right? It's good enough to get all the way to the top eight. Um, uh, and like we could, it could possibly be a could have possibly been something that could have caught on a little bit more as a meta deck. Kind of saw the same thing from Gudra last format, right? Or pre rotation, I should say, pre rotation. Gujar was like, eh, it's not a deck. Then all of a sudden, Stefan gets second at that. Uh, it was a regional or a special event. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was a special event. Uh, Stefan gets second. It's like, oh, wait, well, there's something. There might be something here with this Gujar deck, right? It's like, eh, it's still kind of like unfavored against Lugia, but I kept picking up steam. It did win a regional, I believe, at some point. Fort Wayne regionals, I think, uh, in North America. Um, I didn't feel like there was maybe enough time for the Gujar deck to pick up over here. Also, one thing with like this Gujar deck compared to other deck Gujar decks, this Gujar deck is definitely a lot harder than the other Gujar deck, because this one has a lot more moving pieces in it. They're both Lawstone decks, but this one has a lot more variety of attackers to work off of. 
and can definitely make it a little bit harder of a deck to pick up. So that's probably one reason we didn't see it gain as much popularity. But who knows? Maybe I mean maybe Gujar will still be a thing with the new set coming out. Still, it's it's possible, I guess. Yeah, Although, Hermione actually played uh, two Gudras in the first three rounds. <laughs> <laughs> so played two mirrors right away. Probably 60-card mirrors as well. Uh, actually, yeah. I think, yeah, we talked to Grayson. Grayson's a Patreon supporter, uh, and he he was like, yeah, I played the 60-card mirror versus Hermione in round two. It's like, what are the chances of that happening? <laughs> you decide to pick up the person's deck who did well in a different country last weekend, and then you just play them in the second round of the tournament with the same 60. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Gujra, yeah, Gujra, Gujra feels like it's almost like in the Chi and Pao position where it's starting to pick up that steam. Like we kind of saw Chi and Pao do throughout this format. Start to pick up more steam, get better Picking results. Up steam just in time for the new format. <laughs> yeah, I guess Chi and Pao's steam is probably going to carry on because it does gain. I don't know if Gujra really gains anything besides probably a terrible matchup against Roaring Moon. So um, <laughs> yeah, just being able to get immediately nuked once you set up your Gujra finally does not sound like a good matchup, but... I don't know, I guess you can save Lyam on the next turn or something like that. That's uh, you've been turn, calling man. it Roaring Mid, though, so maybe the Gujras don't really have to wor worry about it. I mean, it's just another two-prize deck that one-hit KOs your opponent's active. <laughs> We've seen it before, and they've never been... They're never terrible, but they've never been like... I feel like those one are never of them like, just tier won. one tier rest decks. Yeah, but I'm, I don't consider Maridon like the best deck in the format still or anything. Sure. You know? Um... <laughs> yeah, Mid-Ridon, Roaring Mid. I <laughs> 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 gotta come up with a name for a Golden Go. Because uh, that's bad. another two another two prize Pokemon that one it KOs your opponent's active. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm um, excited for Golden Go actually. Give I think the shot. last the last thing we could point out, like just talk about that was cool, was uh Dylan Gunn's list was kind of like an innovation on I don't want to call it Turbo Lost Box because there's no Poke Stops in here, but still three vacuum. Let's call it Turbo Lost Box, but not quite as aggressive as you could be, but the trade-off was Bravery Charms. Um, which We'd seen a little bit of at Sacramento. Yeah. Actually, Caleb <laughs> had a match up against a build that had two Bravery Charms in it in Sacramento. And he was like, my Sableyes were just so much worse because uh, they have two <laughs> things that give them plus 50 HP. Um, so, yeah, interesting build from Dylan Gunn with the two Bravery Charm, Town Store. I believe Aiden also played this exact 60, if I'm not mistaken, or close to it. I think um, it was 59. Definitely close. Yeah. So close to it. Yeah, the Bravery Charm. Uh, Lost Box. Brave Charm's good in the mirror match because it's harder for your Sableyes to go down. Of course, people do play vacuums. Um, I think specifically the Brave Charms are really, really good against Colorless Lugia. I think that's where they shine probably the most, for sure, um, is in that matchup. Why is that? Uh, well, Lugia can't KO Raikou. Radiant oh, Zark sure. can't KO Dragonite V. And if they want to go into the Weird Deer, they need that much more energy. Oh, no, yeah, you have yeah, yeah. So Spirit Tomb stops the Weird Deer, and then you Bravery Charm your Dragonite. And then Mew can't KO it, and Radiant yep. Zard can't KO it. So that's yep. like where it shines is in the Colorless Lugia matchup. And then, like I said, in the mirror match, your stuff having more HP is great. They have vacuum, so it's like how much value can you get out of them? Who knows? Um, you kind of force them to keep their vacuums hanging around, though, which is yeah, also yeah. good because it lets them be less aggressive towards their own Sableye, which is usually in the mirror match what you want to be doing is be aggressive to Sableye. Yeah, and then like theoretically against Charizard, they can be okay if the Charizard player doesn't play too many Lost Vacuums. Like, when I went up against Dylan, I wasn't really worried about the Bravery Charms because I played we played the two Lost Vacuum in the list. So I was pretty confident against the Bravery Charms uh, once I knew that Dylan played them. I was like, eh, they shouldn't be a big deal. But if they don't, if you do, if the Charizard player doesn't play the Vacuum, then the Dragonite living another turn through a Bravery Charm is, like, a pretty big deal. Because then you can take that first prize card with, like, a Cram. They respond, they go Charizard, Puncher, 
KO your cram. Then you can go Dragonite Bravery Charm, and even with Choice Belt, the Charizard won't KO the Dragonite. You can punch that Charizard, and then if you draw fortunately enough, next turn you can go boss up the Pidgeot and then punch that for 250 as well before your Dragonite goes down. You can try and like clean up with Sableye or something like that. So yeah. Um that's like another another cool combo. Another cool combo with the Bravery Charm. Yeah, something cool is Zard as well. You can do it's harder to do against Lost Box, but against like Maridon with their bravery charms, is you can hit something for not enough damage to knock it out. Yeah. And then lost vacuum it later. Um, so that's something that's... that can come up too. It's risky, like I said, against this though, because like four switch carts, that damage may yeah. not stick around for you to to utilize later. Yeah, the Maridon decks play like one to two switch carts usually. Um I had that happen again. in one of my games where I hit one and they were down a switch cart. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna just hit. It was my best play probably that turn anyway, even if they did get the switch cart, but they didn't get it, and so got the extra prize. Yeah, and the main reason that's because you can kind of bench lock them out of Raichu that turn. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. main thing that can come up is you bench lock them, or their bench is full, you punch their active Raichu that has a Bravery Charm, then they go, okay, maybe they attack with it again, uh, and then you go vacuum it away and then boss up another two prize and take four prize cards in a turn or something like that, which can be cool. But, well, let's um, recap... Yeah, yeah, let's recap our predictions. So we did make a few different predictions as we usually do for these tournaments in our episode last week. The first one was over under 1.5 Spirit Tomb in top eight. That's where we set the line, 1.5. I took the over, Azul took the under, and it turns out the over was just barely enough as there were two yeah. decks with Spirit Tomb in them in top cut. Yeah, Hermani and the Dylan Gun with the Spirit Tombs. Uh, one thing we can mention before we do the next one is, which is like, kind of crazy, like Canada, Canada overall has been on like a tear um, recently, uh, just winning majors. But we go to their first major of the year. Zero in top eight um, and two Europeans <laughs> in top eight <laughs> instead. Which yeah. is it's just funny. I'm sure Canada's going to come back stronger than ever now that I made that comment. <laughs> I mean, LaBella was really close. He bubbled. Uh, I actually heard about LaBella's match. So LaBella played up against uh, Smart on the winning end. And LaBella's playing the 1-1 Duraludon, so, like, effectively against, like, Smart's build without the Urshifu, like, that's supposed to be an auto-win, right? You also have, like, the Mawile combo you can use against them as well. Um, So it's tough, but I, uh, Smart was somehow, somehow able to win a game. I think it probably came from, like, a turn two boss KO on a Duraludon V or something like that. And then it usually in game what you three, have to do, yeah. Yeah, in game three, I think I heard LaBella prize the VMAX, and LaBella goes to take a knockout, and then was like, uh, before I draw my prize card, do you want to tie? And then Smart was like, okay, sure. <laughs> so they ended up tying the winning in instead of there being a, a decided winner, because I think if LaBella gets the drought on there, LaBella just wins, but you know, it's coming off a prize card, so who knows what it is. Um, so yeah, so the, the drought on was prize in the game three, which ended up to an eventual tie, but I'm sure LaBella was not super happy with losing to a Lugia, which is like, that's the reason like play this Arceus drought on deck, is like you auto win the Lugias, um, like guaranteed and then you kind of piece together piece together the rest of your wins from there with just being like an Arceus Path judge deck. Um <clears throat> but yeah Canada was so close. Labella coming in at coming in at ninth. But yeah, it was just funny to see because yeah Canada's been like so dominant overall, I guess, in like North American tournaments this season and even end of last season that uh and then this one they can't they didn't even get like a, a top eight on it. But I'm sure they'll come back strong in the in the next one for sure. They always do. Our next um, prediction was highest placing Charizard. And <laughs> at the time we made this prediction, we did not know that we were going to be playing Charizard for the tournament. Yeah. I, I wasn't like super confident in the deck either. I think you maybe would have changed your pick if you had uh, known that we were leaning that way. Um, but yeah, we yeah, went a little bit higher. I went with the top eight. Azul went with the top 16. And 
definitely win this one as Azul did get in. I mean, it's like I win this one because Azul was in top four. So I guess really Azul is the true winner because <laughs> he, he made it to top four, won five grand. So, yeah, I think you, I don't know. I get the edge. You get the edge. What do we think? <laughs> toss seems, up. Yeah, toss up. Definitely. Definitely a split here. Yeah, I definitely would have picked a little bit higher if I was more confident that we would have been playing it. I was like, I was like, I was like, okay with the idea of playing the deck because Graham was hyping it up so much um, or talking it up so much. But yeah, I didn't expect us to end up actually playing it at the tournament overall. But I definitely would have predicted it a little bit higher. Probably would have settled with like a top four. And Um, then our final prediction, as we'll kind of hint at it a moment ago, was (laughs) will a Canadian win the tournament? Well, if there was none in top eight, no Canadians could win. And not uh, possible. That's what I picked. Azul said the Canadian would win the event. So I mean, Azul, that's that's like a clean three zero sweep for me with the predictions yeah. this week. Well, you picked top eight, not top four. So okay. In that situation, there was no points for either person. You were just closer, but closer is not a dub. Uh, and yeah, this is like the <laughs> this is. I mean, fifty percent. I think fifty percent. I was actually curious about this because I was like, how many Canadian players are there? Uh, I think it was fifty percent of the players at the tournament were Canadian. Because, like, we looked it up on the RK9 pairings, and we went, like, bracket, CA bracket, and it was, like, 700 or something. It was, like, 1,500 players. So, like, yeah. half the players at the tournament were Canadian. So there's a pretty good chance with how much Canada has been winning when they show up, and they're, like, <laughs> what is there, like, 100 of Canadians maybe at our tournaments? I guess we could, like, look up that set as well. I'd be interested to see that as well. Like, when they come to, like, American tournaments, how many Canadians are there? Like, I'm looking at day two of... Sacramento right now and there was one, two, three, four, five, six. There were six in day two. I don't know, hundred Canadians are maybe making their way to like Sacramento regionals. I don't actually know how many. Um do make can you look at like pairings of past tournaments on yeah, Arcanine? I'll, I'll I'll pull it up. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I'm curious. Cause yeah, like half the half of Toronto was Canadian. So I was pretty confident that, you know, they've been doing so well recently. I was like, okay, Canadian winning? That seems free in Toronto. There no. were 31 Canadians in Sacramento. All right. Well, they didn't win Sacramento. How many? I mean, I guess there's probably less, or there's a smaller percentage probably at Peoria because there's 1,700 players. Yeah, I guess Peoria is probably a little bit more reasonable it. for Canadians to get to, to be honest. Sacramento maybe is. Do you know how you have harder. to do this? How you have to look up past tournament pairings? No. This is kind of crazy that this is what you have to do. You have to go to the website, uh, rk9.gg, you know, yeah. where the pairings and stuff are hosted. You go click on the tournament page. So if I'm looking for Peoria, I go click on TCG. But this just takes you to the, you know, registration page, which obviously, right. you know, you can't register anymore. So in order to get to pairings, what you do is you go up to the URL and where the word tournament is, you just replace it with the word pairings. So it's accessible just through that, so it's not a locked page, but it's not like available just to look at. Yeah, we got Hacker Man Chip over here. Is that Hacker them... Man status? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get some Hacker Mans in chat? <laughs> Chips making moves out here. There were fifty-three then... Canadians in Peoria. Yeah, that's cr- there's fifty-three in Peoria. There was, dude, I'm holding three. Me losing this prediction is on the Canadians, bro. It's not on me for predicting. <laughs> like, come on. Fifty percent of the tournament compared to fifty-three out of seventeen hundred. We can't get a dub out here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I'm just kidding, um, dude. That is actually something, though. How do we not have like final standings or standings in general available on RK9? <clears throat> if for some reason they don't want to show it in the middle of the tournament for whatever reason, I could understand that. 
But I feel like end of day one or end of day two pairing should or standing should just be available on Arcanine, but they're just not. Yeah, it's, like it's all third party. Well, it's like Arcanine is a third party, on... right? So yeah, they're available <laughs> and then on you have to go Live. to the third party of the third party, the Pokestats yeah. Live or the <laughs> Pokedata pages to see the. Well, they all standings. get the. They all get the. They mine. Is it called mining data? That's what this this term is used for, right? They, they yeah, get I the think data Arcanine from is, Arcanine, right? Arcanine is open source. Yeah, so like Pokestats Live and whatever the other one is that you mentioned, they all get their data from Arcanine to then show us the standings. I don't understand how they're not just on Arcanine. Also. Uh, I'm just gonna put this out there. I think I mentioned it before, but dude, being able to like report our games on our phones would be so nice. And someone did bring up bring it up. It's like, well, I don't have a phone. Well, we talked about this before. Someone was like, I don't have a phone, so that won't work. But you could just for people who don't have phones or don't have service, you could just call for a judge, and they should be able to do it on their phone, right? I feel like that should be like, uh, yeah, that would be so nice if we just can stop. We have to stop taking match slips up, and we could do it on our phones. It would only make the tournament run faster, right? Like, <clears throat> that has oh, to be the future yeah. eventually. Yeah, gotta get there eventually. Get to that point. Yeah, and it's just like it's one of those things where it's like the system we have works, right? It does work. It is slower though, and it could be improved upon. Uh, But if it works, it's like just not going to be on the high priority list of things to update and change, right? Which I feel like that would have to increase round to round turnover rate by a decent amount, though. Probably, yeah, for sure. Like I have to imagine. I mean, because the way it works now is you have to walk your slip up, hand it to a person, they take it, hand it to a person back in the hive, and that person has to scan the results manually into the system like yeah that's i mean tedious. i guess i guess at the end of a round like they're pretty fast about like the judges usually are going to collect the slips for the the, the in time rounds or intern and then you need less or... people working in the hive that's more people that could be judging out in the floor as well yeah that's true or just doing anything else to help to make, make the tournament run smoother right yeah. whatever it could yeah. be like if you're gonna have that much staff still on hand like they could just be doing something else to make the tournament run smoother so yeah hopefully i mean i think it would be like I hear like already at other other card games already do it on the phone. So I think it would be like, at least by next season, well, I would hope that's something we get. You um, know, the ones that do it on the phone are the ones that like have started in the last five years, you know? Yeah. It was just Still. like, it's just, yeah, I, there's mm-hmm. not like a great excuse, but I'm just trying to provide perspective as to yeah, what, in like, my opinion, when they build the their most likely why. Yeah, when they're building their software from the ground up, that's something you may as well include. Yeah, yeah. Um, in your software, but like, yeah, I feel like that's just something like we should have on RK9 by next season. Like, it just feels like it's 2024, <laughs> or it'll be 2025 by by next season. So, or next season will be 2025. So, yeah. a quarter of a way through the century, bro. We're getting old, huh? Yeah, it is quite. A, it's been quite a. a long we both time turn now. 30 next year as well. Yeah. <laughs> That is something. I don't really think about it too much, though. I mean, people people put a lot of emphasis on that that coming of age date, but I don't know. It's just another year to me. Just another year. <sighs> just another year. Well, let's get into guess that flavor text. But before we do that, we of course have to take a moment to thank our fantastic sponsor, Dragon Shield, for supporting the Uncommon Energy Podcast. Of course, Dragon Shield makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products out there some of the best accessories including sleeves binders deck boxes and so so much more i was rocking my dual mats throughout the weekend used them all through day one would have used them all through day two if i was playing there you know the one the fairly odd parents meme this is where i'd put my (laughs) trophy (laughs) if i had one but it's okay. Azul, what about you? I know you probably went through like eight boxes of sleeves because you're so paranoid and change your <laughs> sleeves all the time. I do change my sleeves all the time. Yeah. 
I went through three, I think, by the end of it all. By the time I was through top eight. Um, yeah, I just like to, I mean, just like the, just the feeling of fresh sleep. It's something I'm like, like, it is definitely a little bit of a paranoid thing, but <clears throat> fresh dragon shields feel so good. Um, they do last a lot longer than I use them for. I'll tell you that much for sure. Cause I remember like back in the day when I was less paranoid about my sleeves, <laughs> I would use a box of dragon shields for multiple tournaments in a row, just until the, just up to the point where they got too dirty. That's when I would change, change sleeves yeah. back in the day. Um, but yeah, huge shout out to dragon shield as always for being a sponsor of the podcast. Check them out as always at dragonshield.com slash webshop slash us or you. Um, <clears throat> and of course they're also available literally everywhere else, local card shops, big box retailers, you name it. They're there. And, and that being said it is time we, for guess that flavor text. It's Azul's turn this week to pick mm -hmm. a card for me. Uh, and if you don't know what we do here every single week, one of us will pick a card for the other host to try to guess what the card is based solely on its flavor text. I, I say solely, but there are some lifelines that you can work in and use to try to give you a little bit of a hand. Those lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. I gave Azul a pretty easy one, a pretty reasonable one last <laughs> week. and Reasonable. Just couldn't pull through, just couldn't pull through. I, I'm excited to see that what you have for me this week, Azul. Yep, I'm ready to go, Chip. Are you ready? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. It sways its hips to a rhythm all its own. The precise movements of <clears throat> blank living in Alola are truly wonderful. Ooh, living in Alola. Okay, so that's a bit of help here. A Gen, what, 7 Pokemon, right? Gen 7? Something like that. Uh, Sun and Moon era. <clears throat> Um, my first thought was definitely, um, my first thought was definitely Metacham with the hips, you know, that, that thing's got some hips on it. Uh, now I'm thinking maybe like Sensu form or a choreo, the like hula dancer or a choreo. Let me hear the flavor text one more time. It sways its hips to a rhythm all its own. The precise movements of blank living in Alola are truly wonderful. Hmm. It also could be a regional form, like an Alolan form, I feel like. But I don't know. I feel like uh, Marowak had kind of a little bit of a dance thing going on with the... But it wasn't really a tips. It was like with the Bone Club. I'm going to use some lifelines here to get a little bit of help. Um, Let's go with, I mean, I know it's a sun and moon set, and I know this era pretty decently, so I'm going to go with what set the card is from. I think that'll help me narrow it down a good bit. It is from Hidden Fates. Pro, okay. Well, so this is a little bit of a cop-out, right? Because Hidden Fates is a reprint set. Or I guess, well, Hidden Fates <laughs> had its own main set, right? So I have it's no not, clue. Is it, from, it's, it had its own main set, and then it also had the Shiny Vault. So sure. is it from Hidden Fates, or is it from the Shiny Vault? Do I get to know that? It says Hidden Fates. <laughs> I don't have any other info. <laughs> well, if is, I... is the card text number SV out of a number? No. Okay, so it's from the main set. Now, wh what am I allowed to tell you that? Is that... Well, like... I don't know, but you told me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, with that info, do you have anything else to work with? No. Um, well, I don't think there's an Oricorio in that set, so that helps me down. Hidden Fates is the... Um, I almost said it was the Zorak set, but that's not even right. It's the 
you ponder for one more second. I need to run and do something real quick. Okay. <laughs> Azul's AFK now in the middle of Guess That Flavor Text. Um, so I was thinking Zork, but that's Shining Fates, not Hidden Fates. Um, and I'm back. You had to let the cat out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I'm not any closer. I'm going to need some more help now. Let's go with reading attack name. That might narrow it down a little bit. Slap. Okay, well, I'm going to slap <laughs> you next time I see you now. <laughs> what the heck, man? Okay, well, what stage is the card? Let's just use it all. The basic. Okay, so not Metacham. Swaying the hips. These the Wait, isn't live oh, no, it's not. Huh? I was about that, but yeah, never mind, never mind. For some reason, What's I thought Metacham was a basic, but it's not. It involves oh. from what, Metatite? Meditate, yeah. I was like um, confused. Metacham is like one of the Hitmon Lee, Hitmon Chan ones. Yeah, I mean, Hidden Fates was the set that had the Charizard GX in it that was really good. It had yeah. Jesse and James in it, which was really good. The Weezing. Those are the competitive cards I can think of. I'm really not super close on this one it has slap i mean maybe it's like some grass type what is like an early game i'm trying to remember in the game itself what are some of the pokemon you fight against at some point but i don't even <laughs> i don't even think it's necessarily a gen 7 pokemon i'm just truly lost on this one to be honest all right, Chip, we're need an answer here. I know, I know. I just can't even think of anything, man. I genuinely just can't think of anything. I don't know. I don't think it's right. Slap. Ah, I'm gonna go with Metatite because I was thinking Metacham, but <laughs> I just I just know this isn't right. It is not right. Um <clears throat> I'll give you the next attack on it and we'll see if you can get it off the second attack. Okay. Second attack is lovely kiss. Jinx. It is Jinx. Dude. <laughs> Jinx. Hey, where where is Alola? Alola like Alola. Is... Yeah, it's, it's like the, the regions, where Alolan right? Pokemon are from. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I thought. But then it was yeah. weird. So Jinx is from Alola? No. But you can find those Pokemon in Alola. You can find Pokemon oh, the from other regions. Of Jinx living in Alola are truly yes. wonderful. Oh, okay. So like that's Alola a tough flavor. Jinx. That that one that's kind of tough. It throws you off because of the the Alola text was definitely throwing me off there. But there actually is an Alola Jinx form. We never got this in card. I like just googled it just to look it up because I was curious. Dude, <laughs> that's not Alola. true. Am I trolling? That's like fan art that you're looking at uh, for sure. <laughs> are you sure? Yes. <laughs> okay, Wait, maybe send I'm me the picture on Discord. I'm going to show well, I just, it. <laughs> I just Googled Alola Jinx and then something popped up. So I was like, oh, okay. Send me the picture. Okay. I just assumed it was real. <laughs> okay, where's my Discord? Hold up. <laughs> it looks real. I mean, this was the era of like good f fake uh, cards Weird, or fake uh, fake Pokemon. <laughs> but no, yeah, this is fake. Dude. Fairy psychic type Alolan Jinx. It's wearing a comfy around its head. <laughs> it's just like a flower circle thing. 
I mean, I literally, I would not have known the difference. I would have not known this was not Dude, real. Dude, the way you were so confident. Oh, yeah, Alola Jinx, that's a thing that exists. <laughs> well, that's why I was so confused, because like, I saw that. I was like, Alola. I was like, wait, but it's not an Alola-informed Jinx. I was like, and then I Googled Alola Jinx, and something came up. I was like, oh. So you have exist? to have seen the Alola-informed Jinx to think that it existed before. So Azul, we know now... He's been looking at some Jinx fan art, dude. No, oh, okay. I literally well, I looked okay. it up. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> I looked it up I'm right now after judge. I read the flavor text. I'm not going to judge. We can move on. All right. We'll move. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. We got Paradox Rift. I kind of took a look at the new cards today and like started putting together some lists on for the stuff. Stream, right? Yeah, on the stream today, I took a look at that, started putting some lists. Also, I've been streaming on YouTube and Twitch um at the same time now recently which has been it's been good actually i've been actually really enjoying it i'm actually gonna maybe start trying to stream on tiktok as well at the same time but um i'm not sure about that one yet i have access to it now so i'm probably gonna try and do that as well which will be interesting but yeah um, yeah put together some lists and <clears throat> i don't know there's definitely a lot there to look at and like work around with for sure um so i guess we start with like the main start with the main decks here that are really coming out of the set which is yeah, uh, Roaring moon yeah Iron we Bell got this and... broken up in kind of three categories right yeah we've got new decks so brand new archetypes from this set we've got existing decks so decks that are already played right now in the meta maybe what tools they could stuff. add to their decks uh moving forward uh or maybe if they get worse or better in the meta and then we've got old decks that maybe have an opportunity to come back make an appearance now with some of these new cards so yeah let's we'll start with the the new decks yeah so start with that roaring moon the roaring moony x um are you gonna pull it up for them so they can yeah I'll the card it so it's got 230 hp it's a basic pokemon the first attack for two dark and a colorless knocks out your opponent's active pokemon but then you do 200 damage to yourself so it's got 230 hp so about 30 left and then the second attack or Dark Dark, Dark Dark Carlos, I believe, again as well. It does 100 damage, but you may discard a stadium in play if you do it does 220. So that's the attack that I think saves this card. Because if it didn't have a good second attack, then I think this card would be definitely bad. Um, because just being able to want to knock out your opponent's active no matter what wouldn't be worth it. But then maybe it'd be like a tech card in a Dark Ride V-Star deck. But it does seem like that turbo roaring moon EX is the way to play the deck. Kind of got the uh it's got everything you need in the card by itself. It can want to KO anything with the frenzied gouging, and then the calamity storm can be like your early KOs on smaller stuff. Uh, but does two, doing 220 isn't obviously KO anything too small. You can KO Arceus Vs, V Pokemon, some basic EXs, then obviously KO like any kind of one prize Pokemon as well. Um, this one definitely seems to be, probably actually to be honest, I think it's more hyped up than Golden Go now. Um, oh yeah, I agree. This is, I think, secretly uh, has kind of snuck up. I mean, there's just been so much attention on Iron Hands in the new set. Yeah. Now that we're like so close to the new set actually coming out, people are kind of realizing, dang, Roaring Moon, pretty good. Iron Valiant, pretty good. And they're like spending more time looking at those two cards, I think, specifically. But yeah, I think Roaring Moon is really, really solid, to be honest. I almost feel like it's... Um... So I know you like to just, you know, we look at these cards and you're just like, it's just another two prize beat stick deck. Oh my goodness. Another two <laughs> prize beat stick in the format. So this is exactly what we need, right? But... This deck, I think, when it's built out compared to Maridon, is going to be overall much more consistent. You've got the Professor Sada supporter. You've got Dark Patch. You're not relying on Electric Generator. You don't have the consistency that Maridon EX gives you to get your Pokemon in play, but 
in the format right now, there's so many great ways to get Pokemon out. Nest Ball, Ultra Ball, Battle VIP Pass, right? That sh still should not be too much of a problem. Um, and the fact that you do have the Calamity Storm that can one-hit KO a ton of stuff. And then, of course, Fringy Gouging, one-hit KO everything. I think that this is a deck that's going to be more consistent than something like Maridon, But you're going to have less options than something like Maridon does, yeah. right? Maridon, you have more play with... Uh, you know, using your Raikou, you get a little extra card draw there too. Uh, the Maridon itself can attack, of course, and then you've got Raichu to blow up stuff. You've got Iron Hands that you can play in that deck now. Just a lot yeah. more options. It feels like you can tech in the Mew EX to attack with. You can't really attack with Mew EX in the Roaring Moon deck because you can't Dark Patch to it. So, Orsada to it, yeah. I think Roaring Moon does seem good, but it's definitely, as of right now, the way that I've been seeing lists built currently it's maybe a little too linear yeah but i don't know if there's like anything that can be done about that um and i don't know maybe they're maybe the versatility maybe it isn't that much more versatile than maridon but i also just i just don't think i see a world where both of them are good i think it's possible both of them eat up a, enough meta share to make them both relevant meta decks but that's kind of just like more people wanting to play their their two prize deck they like more than the other i just don't see a world unless weakness becomes like a really big thing but like there's not that much fighting stuff or grass stuff so that shouldn't push one out of the meta over the other. So I feel like there's no reason for Roaring Moon and Maridon to like coexist in a meta. Because they're both just a two-prize Pokemon. Sure. That early Calamity Storm, early Raikou and Maridon attack, Frenzy Gouging, or the Raichu to take a bigger one-hit KO. Um, and I feel like Roaring Moon does both of those things. Maybe not the initial attack. Like Raikou is like a pretty pretty good at getting a turn one attack off right roaring moon might struggle a little bit more to get like that turn one calamity storm than you would with him right on deck getting the turn one raikou attack right but calamity storm is definitely hitting harder right so you can get through more things that the raikou maybe couldn't get through um so i don't know i think i guess like roaring moon i kind of give the edge to as being the top two prize beat stick deck um because it kind of does all the same things that uh the Maridon deck does, except maybe a one prize attacker, but there is like the little more Peko that uh, Roaring Moon can play, but that doesn't hit quite as hard as something like the Zapdos. And yeah, even some like people the... have been playing the Brute Bonnet, we've seen the yeah. Galarian Moltres, those are things that people have been putting in their lists. Um, and, and there's no real type advantage to being dark right now, I don't think. I mean, when you have Frenzy Gouging, I guess you don't really need type advantage, but it would be nice to not like almost KO yourself to get a KO on something for dark time. I guess I guess Guardi EX is like the only thing, right? Yeah, Mew, but, like, Mew. Oh, Mew as well. But like being weak to lightning feels worse than being weak to dark right now, I guess, overall. Yeah, sure. Unless Lugia is just a bad card. I mean, I think that both decks will still coexist. And for the reason you kind of said, like people will have their preferences of just kind of what they like more. But from yeah. like the uber competitive standpoint, you know, if both decks are kind of accomplishing the same thing, yeah, there's never a reason to play one over the other. Unless, like you said, weakness was like something to to maybe consider. Um, or like you go super far down, like the competitive tree or whatever decision tree eventually we'd all just come to play in the exact same deck right because like oh well guard was just the bdif why would you play anything else but it never and meta never develops that far but usually i think some stuff like this where decks are basically the exact same deck or accomplish the exact same things one of them eventually gets weeded out and kind of pushed to the side even if it's close roaring moon seems like it is maybe superior at first i was like was a little bit unsure but even actually just talking about it right here with you about roaring moon i feel like roaring moon comes out on top over the Maridon. And um, the next one here that we can talk about is the well, we could, Iron... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we could go to Golden Go, because like that is another two prize. <laughs> okay. 1AK, your opponent's active. 
beat stick type deck, but I actually think there's a little bit more versatility to the Golden Go. There's a little bit more stuff you can do with it. Um, you can have like a really powerful one prize attacker. The baby Moltres is pretty powerful as well. I guess I'll mention that. Um, I didn't see a lot of that until today. I saw it in a list and it, that is like a pretty good consideration. The, the thing with like playing the baby Moltres in something like the Roaring Moon though, it's like, are you even playing Iono to begin with? And if you're not, what's stopping your opponent from just bossing around your baby Moltres, you know? Um, so it almost feels like baby Moltres. I don't know. I guess like maybe you'd want to use baby Moltres sooner than like end game. Um, but yeah, the Golden Go, I think there's a lot more versatility with that because its attack cost is just one metal, right? And you could play like a powerful one prize attacker like the Caesar. Uh, and then on top of that, you can play other energy types with the deck because the first attack or its attack costs a metal, uh, but you can discard any kind of basic energy from your hand to do 50 damage for uh, each of the cards you discard. So you could play literally every single energy type in the deck, right? You're not limited to just metal energy. So one of the things that I've seen some people talk about and I've thought about myself is like Radiant Zard, maybe. Radiant Greninja seems like a little bit too good to not include, but possibly you could include Radiant Zard as a one-prizer, or you could include like literally anything else you wanted in the deck as well. So I think there's, and also has like with the built-in draw power of the coin bonus ability. I don't know. I think Golden Go has a little bit more of an argument to like kind of coexist in a meta alongside the Maridon over the Roaring Moon or the Roaring Moon over the Maridon, right? Shades of Zork GX. Azul nope. told me last week after the episode that I was disrespectful for comparing Golden <laughs> Go to to Zork. I mean, I think a lot of people would agree. That's like that's going. Well, too I never far, said Chip. it was as good. I just said going it like, too far. Kind Chip, of remind reel like, it it's in. Definitely reel it not in. as good. Come on now. Um, but yeah, I think I think yeah, as far as two prizes go, but I don't know. You were you were even telling me that you don't think Golden Go is actually that good. So. I was really hype on this card, and then in a testing session with a student this past week, I played a Golden Go deck that I just, like, pulled from someone on Twitter, just played it for practice against the deck that he was playing, and uh, it just was not as good as I thought it was going to be. I did only play <laughs> a couple games. It was with someone else's list, so maybe I'm going to tweak it a little bit and try to find a way to build it that maybe makes it feel more consistent but it's just like i just remember with zork like you get the zeruas in play turn one and then on turn two it's like zork into zork into zork and it's like you just have this full field and it was like for me i was like okay i evolved the golden go i draw two cards Ooh, i did get another one i draw one card <laughs> i didn't get another golden go so and like we didn't get to trade. keep rolling yeah, the thing that's like a big thing with it too. Back then we had Evo Soda. Yep. We don't even have Evolution Incense. I guess Evolution yep. Incense was better than Evo Soda, but we have no. We don't even have Timer Ball. We don't even have Timer Ball to like <laughs> to get our evolutions out. You have to play like Arzu or something like that, which does not feel. I've got bad news, good. Azul. Oh no, Arezu can only get Pokemon without play rule boxes. Jack, Jack, we, we gotta have, play like, Jack. Jack. I got the Jack, baby. Let's go. Wasn't there like one card that people played in Zorak at a time that was a supporter that found evolutions? Or my Olivia, it got you oh, two Pokemon yes. GX to your hand. Let's go! Incredible card. Just play another Timer Ball. Um, wait, was Timer Ball even legal at that point, dude? I don't. Know. There was probably a little overlap. Yeah, they were in the because <laughs> I think Olivia's from Burning Shadows. Okay. And Timer Ball's from Sun and Moon base set, so they should have been a little. Or maybe Olivia's from Crimson Invasion, but yeah, they sh there was definitely overlap. Yeah. And Olivia was not played for a long time, and then it was like kind of played in Zork at the. I yeah, I feel like a couple people played it as a one of, but probably should have not played it to be honest. I guess yeah. you could Lele for it, right? Wasn't that the reason to was Lele probably? Even legal? I think Stefan played it, right? Stefan played it. 
maybe in what in Zoro in, in one of his Zoroark decks that he won in AIC with. He won in AIC with mm. two Zoroark decks, right? I don't think it was in either of those. No, maybe no. There was a different card back then. I think there was like another card that like <laughs> we're found. going down memory lane here. Yeah, are you looking it up? I was gonna look it up. No, I think yeah, we should move on. We can talk about it later. Well, now I'm like curious. Now I gotta find out. Oh my well, god, what was the card? No, there was no card. It didn't exist. I don't think oh, so. We had Pokecom back. We had Pokecom. We were common. We we're chilling. Yeah. Time. So I mean. I don't know. I feel like that's the problem that I foresee with Golden Go at this moment is just like getting Pokemon into play, uh, getting Golden that. Goes themselves into play. And then at the end of the day, you know, it might seem like not that big of a difference drawing one card versus drawing two, but it's a pretty big difference. 50% less. Um, and there's not like a, oh. it doesn't really make sense to commit an engine to like switch a bunch of Golden Goes active every turn, right? Yeah. That is something well, you maybe could theoretically do. I mean, people did that with Slurpuff back in the day with Tasting, which was the same ability as Coin Bonus. Draw one, but if you're in the active draw two, people did that. Um, yeah, I would, what's the, could that ever work? Could you just play instead of like a B barrel line? Just play. Well, the B barrel I think is too good in the deck. To be honest, I don't know. Yeah, the B barrel is pretty good against Path Iono. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you just lose. I mean, Iono in general, because even though you're drawing cards with Coin Bonus, once they've killed a couple Golden Goes, like you're not drawing that many cards. So. Yeah. Three cards is not enough to like get off that next one hit KO, I don't think. So you need more for sure. Yeah. So the so golden, golden go, go, we'll see. Yeah, not a huge, huge, uh, a huge fan. Well, now um, we got to go to the Valiant. Oh, yeah, Iron Valiant. This one, I think, has way more potential than the Golden Go. Is it better than Roaring Moon? Who knows how it will be better than Roaring Moon. It's another cool deck. Or another cool card that brings like a lot of potential uh for decks and it really is all through the ability like attacking with this thing is like not a priority unless you're maybe playing in lost box as like your two prize heavy hitter um, yeah i think there's two ways to kind of go with this card and it is with the lost box as a heavy hitter that's an option for sure play a build without the v's you play this you play the tool card get some free retreat get a few extra pings in there with the sable yeah. eye that you know that's a pretty good combo right there being able to say is sometimes a little short and you're just like i just need a little more yeah now what is the ability? How do you pronounce the ability's name? Tachyon. Okay, that's what I thought. I wasn't sure if I was getting it. Tachyon bits. What does Tachyon mean? Some technology word, I guess. Oh. Hit him with the bits. <laughs> <clears throat> we should all just call it bits whenever we use it. All right, I'll bits. Tachyon particles. Tachyon, a tachyon is a hypothetical particle that travels faster than light. I feel like that would do more than 20 damage. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but as it stands, <laughs> it would probably maybe, place maybe more the, than damage the speed is what allows you to place the damage anywhere. Oh, so you're quickly putting it there before they can dodge. I think anyone who uses tachyon bits needs to like take the dice and just boom, put it out there really <laughs> fast. <laughs> yeah, if your opponent stops you before you get to the Pokemon, you're not allowed to do the damage, so you got to be quick. Um, so, but yeah, um, we see yeah, a lot lost of lost box, and then I yeah. think I've seen a lot of people pairing this with Urshifu as well. That yeah. seems to be a pretty popular pairing right now. Yeah, people trying to use it uh, aggressively with like two to three Iron Valiants in play, combo that with some Yoga Loop action, and then you know, set up for some G Max Rapid Flows. You know, it's like a way to like kind of remove Manaphy from the board, um, or just any kind of small HP Pokemon. Um, you can loop it, you can just bits it uh, for the KO, and then you can follow up with G-Max Rapid Flow, some Gale Thrusts. 
Uh, that definitely seems like the best way to play it, though, to be honest, for sure, is with the Urshifu. If not, if it's, it could still be pretty good with Lost Box as well, of course, but it seems yeah. like Urshifu is the way to go with it, for sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah, you can pair it with the Technical Machine Devolution. You can pair it with the uh, Yoga Loop as well on Metacham. Yeah. Lots of uh, strong ways to go with the Iron Valiant. So those are kind of the three new decks. There's obviously some other stuff out there, like the, I don't know, Garchomp EX, Skeledurge. You know, we gave our thoughts on some of these decks or these cards last week in our kind of full set review. So if you want to hear some of those, you can go check that out. But now we're going to move on to decks that exist currently in the meta and how they can be improved by new cards or maybe how they are maybe pushed out of the meta a little bit by other new cards that are existing. Um, and definitely kind of the main thing to talk about here is going to be the Chien Pao Iron Hands deck, which at the moment seems like kind of the most hyped up deck going into this new format. Would you agree? Yeah, and it's basically just because it is the deck that seems to be the best with hands. Um, and I will definitely... You know what? I'm kind of getting uh, a little bit of that uh, baby Buzzwool syndrome with this one, to be honest. When we had... Buzzrock, which was the BDIF for a really long time, really good deck. It improved. I'm doing air quotation marks here with my hands if you're listening on Spotify or whatever. It improved when B-String and Baby Buzzle came out. And it did become a higher threat level deck, I guess you could say. But man, did that deck suck. It was so unfun to play. It felt terrible. It was better, I guess. Um... But man, yeah, what an awful deck. What an awful experience it was. To way play less Buzzwell. consistent. Way less consistent. The deck just felt terrible. It it like it felt like there was the correct way to play it still, which is weird. And it was uh, like if you win. tried to play classic turbo baby buzzwool or turbo regular buzzwool buzzrock Rock, versus yeah. like buzzwool with the baby buzzwool and the DNC and the beasts energy and the beast strings, right? You got like, wrecked. You just got wrecked in the mirror match because they had <laughs> yeah. better cards, but their deck was less consistent. Yeah, it was like a weird, I don't know, it was just weird. Uh, and maybe that's what's going to happen with Chi and Pao. Like, Chi and Pao is probably the best way to play hands, right? It's a it's the easiest way to make hands work. But what are you sacrificing? Like, the Chi and Pao deck, I feel like already kind of is established as a deck where it's like riding the line of consistency, where it's like its win rate doesn't depend on what matchups you hit. It just depends on how consistent the deck can be, right? Um, and we see like Grant Shen continuously having success with the Chi and Pao deck is basically as straightforward as it can get, right? Um, and it's definitely gotten rid of a lot, if not all of the extra cards that offer you more options, but the options aren't just are not just better than just like another nest ball, right? But now you gotta get hands in the deck. Now you gotta get lightning energy in the deck. Now you gotta get vessel in the deck. Uh, is this just buzz rock to baby buzz all over again? So I think it's a little different because currently like GM Pow currently is really strong, yes, but the reason it's really strong and the reason the only reason it can compete with decks like Gardevoir and Lost Box is because you have to play this cross switcher plus canceling cologne strategy where you can use Greninja to take multiple prizes. That's like the yep. only way the deck can compete is if it mm -hmm. can pull that play off where you can do all that and that keeps you up in the prize race. What if you just didn't play all those cards you put in the iron hands and then now iron hands theoretically takes up less space than all of that as well um and it accomplishes the same thing it keeps you in the game against those decks where you have kind of rougher matchups 
Okay, I guess that we is would fair. have you more are... matchups otherwise. Yeah, although the Greninja play is going to be more detrimental to them, I feel like, right? If you had to trade a play yeah, for a sure. play. It's like, oh, Iron Hands KO'd my attacker. Okay, here's another attacker that KOs Iron Hands, right? But it's like, oh, they literally destroyed my whole engine by KOing both my Curlias or both my Ralts. Um, so it's going to be more devastating, but it doesn't matter as long as you stay up in the prize exchange through the hands, right? And this is, I think, also easier to do than cross switcher canceling. Not sure about at that. At least, at least early. At least early. Yeah, yeah, I guess early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that is about. It's about neutral in terms of she empowers power level then even at that point maybe as and well. then you also of course get the earthen vessel which is just like probably a good card in chim power regardless yeah sometimes you're just short on energy in chim power like even though i think if you miss like a turn of uh shivery chill um or if you just don't want to put a two prize on your active on the first turn then like you can go shiver chill plus vessel to get there right so yeah i could definitely see it it'll definitely be interesting i think it is the best way to play hands though um and then probably the second best way to play hands uh, and this is really all that Maridon gains, I guess, is Iron Hands. I've seen some people talking about not playing Iron Hands and Maridon. It's like, oh, it takes four energy. But it's like, I mean, you could, you know, KO something with a Raichu for five or six energy, or you could use four energy to get two prize cards as well, right? I feel like the Hands has got to be good in Maridon. Like, at least as yeah, a hands, hands has to be good. I think people are kind of tunneled on the idea that they, like, have to attack with it turn one. You don't have to attack with it on the first turn of the game. Wait a um, while. If you just, you know... Attack with your Raikou, which is definitely your easiest attacker. It only costs two energy. It still hits really hard. And then, you know, maybe Dynamotor and energy to the Iron Hands on the bench. Well, if you just put one energy on there, you're just one hit on Generator plus a Dynamotor plus an Attach for turn away from Amp you very much taking an extra <laughs> prize KO. Um, and then also with Maridon as well, you're not always a deck that is one hit KOing everything, right? Especially some of these yeah. bigger HP decks out there. So iron hands can come through and uh you know get the two hit ko to take three prize cards on something like i don't know a charizard ex or a mu v max something like that that you hit for 220 with a maride on previously like you're able to clean up any of those ko's which is pretty strong too yeah, i was actually just kind of thinking like what if you just like didn't play flying pikachu and you played two iron hands and two of the tools to make it your pivot as well as like a threat on board at the same time it, yeah, it I mean, a little it's kind of cool that the tool can go get you the Arvin. I don't know that you need the tool for any other reason than having it as a pivot, though. So it, it would just be nice to have like just a, for that reason. Yeah, it would just be nice to like have like a, a more consolidated bench, I guess. It's like a threat plus your pivot in the same card, you know? Yeah, but it um, can't it be, be your pivot if you want to attack with it, right? Because... I mean, hopefully you're winning the game at that point. I mean, if you're using it, I'm hoping like, you know, you're in a good spot. Yeah. Or like you maybe have something set up behind it. I don't know. It's like a thought. But it's like um, if it comes to the time where the... you want to use it and your active just got KO'd, now you're in a situation where you need to find a switch card because you need the hands yeah. to stay on your bench, right? You also like lose your out. You, putting four CS on flying Pikachu is also really, really nice. So, Of course, yeah. But yeah, I guess it depends Like it depends how good the tool is, right? Because the tool is really, really good for math to get those amp one-hit KOs. And maybe we are looking at like two hands, two amps, or whatever the thing is called. That's not an amp, but whatever it's called. So like <laughs> future booster energy future, capsule. Yeah. <laughs> future booster energy capsule. Maybe we're playing maybe it's our pivot plus a potential attacker. It's just a thought. I didn't really think about like that until like right now, but I guess it could be a possibility. Well, yeah, the only the math too good. The only math I can really think of right now is that it lets amp you very much one hit KO Lugia V Star, but should be a pretty good matchup for Maridon already, right? Yeah, so it also lets probably... you KO another thing, but I'm not going to leak this one because... Yeah, Reggie's. Want... Yeah. 
<laughs> I can't have these I'll hands coming it. after my Reggies. <laughs> no! <laughs> Save the Reggies! Yeah, we'll get the Reggies in a bit. Um, next deck we had on our list was Charizard. Um, it doesn't gain a whole ton, but like the possibility of different builds. I think we saw I saw a couple coming out of Japan on Twitter. More B-Barrel uh, TM-centered builds. T, uh, T- Technical Machine Evolution. So it was like playing a thicker Evolution line of the Zard, like a 4-3-3 with like a uh, two two B barrel, and then I had like four technical machine, or not four technical machine, but I think I had like four Arvin plus some technical machine evolutions in it as well, which is definitely interesting. Yeah, technical machine evolution with just any deck that plays Arvin, I think, seems pretty interesting. Yeah, um, and potentially worth playing. But yeah, Zard is kind of the the first place that it comes to mind as being good. I've seen some people talk about this card in Gardevoir as well, which we'll talk about Gardevoir here shortly. Um, but yeah, and then another card that I think is really good in Zard and really good in just a lot of decks as well is the Professor Turo scenario. It can kind of just replace Penny in any of those decks that like to play that to pick some stuff up. Um, there's probably spots where Penny is still better, but like, you yeah. know, like Maridon, all your attackers are basic. You should just play Penny, right? If you're playing a Roaring mm-hmm. Moon deck, all your attackers are basic. You probably should just play Penny, right? But when it comes to something like Charizard, Penny only picks up your Entei Luminion, but now Toro can pick up a Charizard and it can, you know, take that heavily damaged Pokemon theoretically out of play. You don't get to keep the energy, but you're denying prize cards, which is definitely more valuable. Um, yeah, you are Max playing like is a... another one like that. Uh, Toro scenario and Mew <laughs> VMAX seems pretty good too, right? Like, just yeah, get that thing out of play. Not down too many double turbo stars at the end of the game. Like, I mean, a lot of decks play around either one at KO in the movie. Not nothing really wants a two hit KO movie because the threat of psychic leap is like this is true, yeah, so prevalent. But it would allow you to like go for a, a, hit, a harder swing plus removing and a damage movie maximum play. Uh, and if you are do go like down that more evolution based route, you could theoretically just like Kuro chain Charizard. So you pick up the Charizard, you put the Charmeleon back down on a Charmander, you bench the Charmander, you send up a Charmeleon, you evolve that to Charizard, you know, kind of repeat that process. Uh, and keep getting energy out of the deck. I guess in that situation, you maybe would want to play something like a energy recycler even at that point, maybe, but you need enough energy in the deck to keep getting them out to attack with. But that could be like a cool build of Charizard, kind of like a an Arceus Charon's Care, but instead it's Charizard uh, <laughs> Charizard Turo. Turo Ooh, seems pretty yeah. good in something like Lugia as well. And yeah. that's the uh, the next deck up for us to talk about is the Lugia. You know, we've what got the single strike it? build, we've got the colorless builds. Um... Besides Turo, I'm not sure that there's too much for Lugia in this set. Um, Vessel builds. I saw LDF put out a tweet of one earlier. It's like a colorless build that had hands, had a couple vessels, couple lightnings, and then it also had Radiant Charizard with a basic fire, which is kind of cool because it lets you hit with the Radiant Charizard sooner than you normally yeah, would. I did. You see usually this have to too. wait. You usually have to wait until your opponent's on four prize cards and then combo with the Luminous. And we see there is still the Luminous in that build there, but now you can go like fire. I don't know gift and then attack with it earlier or just be able to have a gift on it is also pretty good as well yeah definitely. wait a second seems... where's the water to chain the luminian though where's that basic water oh, the... matt on, come on LDF? brother <laughs> that's broken that used to make that's what one of the things that made lugia so good was what is it even called oh what if you Dude, now i'm cooking bro now i'm cooking <laughs> what if you played like Klefki lugia and you just change your luminian <laughs> he's insane you just, like, you just put you just like play basic waters and i don't know jets and you like wait two turns and jet it up and then put it back in the deck and then it's probably not good but there should be a basic water in here right am i dude, maybe dude that was one of the reasons that lugia was so good was the fact you could put your lugia or your luminian back in your deck is it back 
Might Maybe. be back. It could be back. It could be back. Um, you know, Vessel then, in this deck as well. It's like another way to discard your Archeops as well. Like, it's like a big thing about it. Yeah, Vessel's cool. I think another card that I think could be okay in Lugia would be Technical Machine Blindside, potentially. The one that lets you do 100 to something with damage on it. This happens sometimes with Lugia. You, like, after, you know, sometimes you're aggressive and able to take a one-hit KO, but then you're just doing 220 or you're hitting with a Snorlax, right, for not enough damage to knock something yeah. out. They run away. I feel like, you know, not being forced to boss could be decent. You could research into the technical machine. That's another card that I've thought about that I think could be good in Lugia, too. Could definitely see it. Could definitely see it. Yeah, maybe Lugia lives on. It is weak to lightning. Hands is definitely loving that three prize card, Lugia. You can't see it behind Azul's head, but LDF does have the the Dunsparce technology in here. (laughs) Oh, there's the Dunny in there. Um, And Luminian. Also, another thing that can be chased is Luminian. But if you shuffle your Luminian back to the deck, saying not there for the hands to take advantage of this is true this is true <laughs> he's even got the thornton in here to use a second iron hands with the second lightning energy he's chill out also oh i guess luminous and the one fire that's another reason to have like with the thornton you can use charizard twice it's pretty cool yeah um yeah so some possibilities for lugia there for sure um one deck that might not be around as much as it has been especially with how successful it's been recently, is the Lost Box. Hands is tough to deal with for sure. Um, so that's going to be rough. Is there anything else? That's really, oh, Iron Valiant is yep. also something to look at for Lost Box and be like... And there's also the Jirachi, which is probably the least hyped up way to deal with Lost Box, right? The, the two really hyped ones up right now are Iron Valiant and the um, the Hands. Do you think Lost Box is going to survive this, this set release? Yeah, I'm not sure. It really does depend on how strong Hands is. It's definitely the card that's... the You named a bunch of other things, but like Hands is kind of the big one that you have to worry yeah. about, right? Um, but, you know, a lot of those cards that you mentioned as well are pretty good plays in Lost Box, right? Like, if you could play an Iron Hands Lost Box, that would be pretty decent. If you could... I mean, that's a lot of, you know, Mirage Gate energy, but could be decent. Um, Iron Valiant seems pretty crazy with Lost Box, right? You know, sometimes you just need a little bit of extra damage for your Sableye to get in there. Uh, Iron Valiant's a good attacker with Lost Box. You know, you're already playing Psychic Energy because of Sableye, so you can actually streamline your energy counts a little bit with the deck even, potentially. Um... There's the uh, Technical Machine Devolution, which is like an insane card. You know, thinking about this weekend, we felt like Charizard had a really good Lost Box matchup. Like, maybe not really good, but we it had a favored Lost Box matchup. Pretty good Lost Box matchup. Yeah. Um, if Lost Box has Technical Machine Devolution, it probably just beats all those Evolution decks, right? So... There's some. I mean, that's when the, that's when the Jirachis actually make their way out. <laughs> They're actually coming. That's like, all right. At some point, the Jirachis could make their way into these decks. It doesn't seem like people are going to be starting off with Jirachi in the deck, though, because, yeah, Lost Box could be struggling. But, yeah, it can use all those things, uh, but none of those things really help you against, like, Iron Hands yep. um, or the Iron Valiant, right? Iron Hands or Iron Valiant still kind of having their their way with you in that situation. Like, it's going to be tough to deal with those two for oh, Lost Box. So. <laughs> so Lost Box definitely a little bit It's on the ropes. It's on the ropes for sure. It's been on the ropes in the past, though, I feel like, a little bit sometimes, but it's always kind of made its way through it. We'll see if it survives once again. Another deck that it feels like it's on the ropes, and this is maybe the first time it's been on the ropes, is the Guardi, right? Guardi initial released was kind of like, it's solid, it's good. Really rose to power with the release of Super Rod and Iono. Now it really feels like this is the first time that Guardi is on the ropes, though, right? And it's like, okay, Iron Hands definitely seems annoying for Guardvor to deal with, because before, 
it was like the only thing you could KO for multiple prize cards was the Guardi X at 310 HP Pokemon on the bench. Uh, and also Iron Valiant is another thing that gives Guardi some trouble as well, I feel like, right? Um, do you think Guardi's going to be able to handle the hands and the Valiant? It's kind of a similar situation to Lost Box, right? Because it's yeah. got a lot of cards that it could use in this new set, right? It could use the Iron Valiant to get a little damage sprinkle in there potentially and also just hit pretty hard. Um, there's the Luxurious Cape that you could put on something to give it more HP to do a lot more damage. <laughs> um, what? Does that work with the tail scream tail? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it works with Screamtail, it works with Driftblim, it works with or Driftloon, I guess. It works with all those things, potentially. So there's some options there. There's the new Latios, which is actually pretty decent. It's just a hollow mm -hmm. rare in the set. It does 180 damage for three Psychic. Like, there's some kind of unique things that Gardevoir could do with uh, the new set, but it just kind of depends on how the uh, rest of the meta shapes up, because there's Imagine some stuff like right a... now that seems tough. Now I'm cooking. Imagine like Luxurious Cape, Screamtail, Countercatcher, Iono, Gardevoir, where you just like. <laughs> Gardevoir, yeah, that's another card that's massive for Gardevoir is the, the the Countercatcher, I feel like. Oh, Countercatcher. I was going to say, Screamtail, I don't think is that good unless you're doing what I just said. And then there might be, that's actually kind of cool. Just like Countercatcher something up and then you just Screamtail snipe uh, something when you Iono them. That could be cool. But. Yeah, Countercatcher is definitely big for guard work because you're always falling behind. And now if you can strategize a little bit more about behind falling behind and be, even pulling off bigger plays. Like at first, guard work was going Iono, KO, you're active. Now they can go Iono, KO, anything, right? Um, so it's going to be definitely big for guard work. I guess Countercatcher in general, I think there's a lot of space for Countercatcher in a lot of decks, to be honest. Um, I think it's going to be overplayed initially and too many people are going to have it in literally everything. It's like, I don't know, if you're playing Maridon or the Roaring Moon, probably should not be playing counter catchers you're attacking on the first turn of the game you're trying to draw prize cards quicker than your opponent like probably should save the counter catchers for stuff like the guard the charizard stuff like that put the boss's orders back in those are going to be a little bit more useful for you uh, but guarding definitely something that could try and abuse the counter catcher right and azul it is that time a new format some new cards and some new copium for all the lost <laughs> tina believers new set breathe a little new life into the tina deck um and i think the big one is going to be countercatcher it kind of plays into the strategy of how people have been building tina recently which is like very much a come from behind build with roxanne's ionos and paths um yeah i mean imagine a world where you just go iono plus countercatcher plus path and then sableye spread a bunch of damage or do all that and then start requiem take a one hit ko on their pidgeot or something like that yeah, I don't know. I mean, I—they—they've I, almost tricked me. I feel like Azul into uh, <laughs> into believing a little bit in the Tina. What do you think about it right now? I think it definitely improves the deck because Boss was already like a pretty mediocre card in the deck. It felt like you had to like have a really good sequence to have a really good Boss turn. And obviously, at the end of the games, like once it was like down to the point where it's like, okay, I just need Boss to win. That those were moments for Boss in Tina, but mm -hmm. Boss always felt like a pretty meh card um, overall. But uh, Countercatcher, I think, will definitely be played in the deck. And I think it definitely makes Tina a better deck. Like, Tina, it might even be good enough to the point where I, like, give it a little bit more credit. I'm not quite convinced because always it's felt like the engine of the deck has been the problem. But I was theorying Tina the other day. And honestly, maybe Tina just needs to go second. After playing Charizard at... After playing Charizard at... Uh, 
Toronto. I don't think people have people been cho choosing to go second with Tina. I don't think so. I think you maybe just need to choose to go second with Lost Tina and Star Requiem. I think that or Abyss Seeking. Abyss my Seeking. Bad. Yeah, just Abyss Seeking. Just literally play, make that your game plan against the majority of matchups, and then follow up from there with like a comeback strategy. Like, yeah, but that's tough though. So like with Arvinzard, it's like you could do all that and leave a Mew or a Charmander active, right? But with this, you're planning to leave a Giratina active, and they can that have thing's it. probably gonna get KO'd against most things. They can have it. We gotta gotta be seeking. Go second. Play a Colrus. We're cooking. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's what I want. Actually, want to try. I'm gonna try and try some Tina again. This format. I'm gonna try and choose to go second. I'm see how that feels. Maybe it's a missing piece. Maybe people people have been choosing to go second with Tina this whole time, and that's why I've been feeling pretty mediocre about that because I've been choosing to go first, and I should have been choosing to go second. Good luck with that, buddy. All right, last <laughs> deck here that we have written down to chat about is a deck that got top 32 actually this past weekend in Toronto. It's a little bit off the radar, but it's definitely gotten a little hyped up moving into this set because there's quite a few cards that are actually pretty good for this archetype in the new set, and that is stall. Um, and I guess we'll say stall as opposed to control, because it feels like that's the way that people are playing it right now. Um, you know, yeah. the Snorlax, block Snorlax has kind of been the way, right? Yeah, I guess it's like hard to... No matter what, you're trying to control your opponent's board state, but no matter what, you could always break down any deck to being like that. So yeah, I, I think this falls under the, the stall category. Control... I don't know, I'm thinking, I guess, more so like Pidgey Control, where you completely lock your control, your, the board state completely lock your opponent out of everything. Um, stall is basically just like making it difficult for your opponent to attack as much as you possibly can before they, or until they deck out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Countercatcher is going to be huge yeah. for this deck for sure. Um, what I mean, is that it? Is that all? Okay? I mean, it's a pretty big piece, but is that they have anything else that really comes out in this one? Yeah, they can get Luxurious Cape or the, what's oh, the true. card called? The That's a big Rigid Vest, I think, right? Oh, yeah, the vest as well. Yeah, probably the cape is going to be the bigger deal, though. Or maybe play like a split depending on the matchup. It might be matchup dependence. So Your Snorlax like becomes 250 HP. Yeah, that's a lot of HP. Sanders probably going to play one of each tool in the in the deck for sure. <laughs> you know, different situations. He's Honestly, the uh, the Ursa Luna with the Defiance vest could be... That's, I mean, that's a lot of reduced damage. I, I mean, I don't know what matchup it would be particularly good in, but there's something there probably for sure. Um. But yeah, I think I definitely gained some new pieces, right? So we'll see how uh, see how it <clears throat> progresses, see how good it actually becomes. Will it really be a contender? It really hasn't been a contender for a while. It did get top thirty-two, but even at that, I don't think it's really a contender in the meta overall to like push for a top eight or push for a win quite yet. But these this might be the missing pieces to give it that opportunity. And then we're not missing anything, I don't think, right? That's the majority of them. Um. Uh, Mew. We didn't talk about Mew, I guess. Kind of mentioned it a little bit. But I feel like overall for where the meta's headed, it probably looks pretty good for Mew. It's good against hands. Or hands doesn't really affect it. Uh, it's good against Iron Valiant, because you have everything has too much HP. Um, yeah, I think overall, it probably is looking pretty good for Mew moving forward. Like just you, It's like, if you're playing the Drapion on the Spirit Tomb, depending on the build of Mew, it's going to be tough. But if you're not, Mew's probably having a good time. It's, it just goes back to, are you teching for Mew as opposed to I don't know, has there been a meta recently where it's just like there's a deck that's a bad matchup that's been too popular for me? I guess Charizard, right? That would have been like the one thing. Yeah. But even then, like the double turbo builds adapted to it and so on. So um as Charizard will still be around. Uh, but with all these other new decks popping up, it probably won't be as popular as it has been, like the like 12% mark. So yeah, but you do have to you. deal with Roaring Moon, which could be questionable, right? That's true. Well, the, the fusion build feels like that's what you gotta be playing to be able to do the two prize trade. Yeah. 
And you can now utilize mm-hmm. Countercatcher potentially. I think that's a card that can be an okay one of MU. You do fall behind early sometimes, but there is also, I guess with Fusion, that would probably be a little bit better in DTE Mew, I guess, yeah, right? Definitely. Fusion Mew, you're usually going to be the one that's the aggressor more often, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the Professor Turo, like I mentioned earlier, is probably decent too. Especially over like Penny was already being ran in some builds. Like Turo is just a better Penny. Like if you're going to run Penny now, you should have Turo, which gives you more options. And then uh, last decks to mention here are some old decks. Uh, the first one we'll mention is the Reggies, which I'm super excited for. Um, I think Vessel does a ton for Reggies, and I think it might even revive, like, Gift Reggies, whereas it seemed like Luminous Energy Reggies was, like, the way to play it for a while, but I think Gift Reggies might be making a comeback, which is definitely and, the more powerful of the builds. Yeah, that's, like, what makes... So, like, if you remember, Reg- Reggies, like, existed for a while, a while in the format, and it was just, like, a meme deck for the most part. Like, it was good, it but it wasn't, like, it wasn't really a contender. But then yeah. Gift Energy came out, and that made Reggies really good. But now you can't play Gift Energy. Well, you can. You play, like, one of them just for the end of the game because you have to play Luminous Energy as your, like, Rainbow Energy card because... um Luminous energy doesn't work if you have any special energy attached. So gift energy doesn't work alongside luminous. So uh, the best card in the deck is the gift energy, it feels like. And you just don't have access to it uh, in current builds. But with Earthen Vessel, you can discard your energies. You can go get the specific types of energies you need for the correct situation. Get them in the discard through your supporter, through Ultra Ball, whatever it is. Um, And then you can use the gift energy. So, yeah, I, I mean, in the past... Not having gift energy is what's holding what was holding Reggie's back. And it feels like currently not having gift energies could be the thing that's holding Reggie's back. But now you have a lot easier time being able to utilize them. Yeah, you also get Iron Bundle, which is actually like a really powerful card. Generally for one prize decks, like being able to potentially just move your opponents active. Because it's a lot easier to block a one prize deck from doing what, what attacking what they want to attack or kind of controlling how much damage they can do or what they can damage just by attacking with a specific Pokemon. So Iron Bundle, I think, is also really powerful in the deck. Also, you play like three or four super odds. So um they'll allow you to recover the iron bundle and use it over and over again. For anyone who doesn't know what the iron bundle does, if it's on your bench, you can discard it and then your opponent has to switch their active with one of their bench Pokemon. So it's like half an escape rope. Um, like I said, for like these one prize decks like the Reggies, yeah, your opponent tries to put up in the active what you can't deal with, right? So the Iron Bundle being able to constantly push it out of the way until you're ready to deal with it or just never deal with it uh, could be a pretty pretty powerful tool as well. I think the bundle's going to be pretty sick in there. Yeah, that's actually something I hadn't thought about yet. So that's a, that is a, uh, a pretty good way to use the bundle because normally in Reggies, you can't play any non-Reggie Pokemon, but bundle gets itself out of there. Which yeah, is nice. yeah, that as well, exactly right. You usually can't play anything in Reggie's besides Reggie's, uh, but Bundle does this card itself, so you're all good. Broken and bundle. then some other decks that we were kind of talking about with each other before we started recording, as far as like other options of things that could get a little bit better. Um, some just powerful cards that exist out there in the format. Things like Palkia come to mind. Ice Rider, Calyrex, V Max. You know, these are cards that have been decent before get a little bit of help in the new set, mostly through the form of Earthen Vessel. Another one is the Reggie Drago V-Star, which gets a huge boost from Earthen Vessel because you get your grass energies in your hand. You could probably play some Gardenia's Vigor build a little bit more aggressively, right? Because uh, you're guaranteed to get those energy cards in your hand, and it gets your Dragon-type Pokemon in the discard pile to copy their attacks with Apex Dragon. Yeah, so there's, this is like... If Reggie Drago V-Star ever has had a moment, it's right now, I feel like. I don't think it'll be good, though. I just think it won't quite get there. Um, Palkia, on the other hand, though, I don't know. It makes an appearance now and then. 
and we do gain we get vessel we get counter catcher you play irida so um i think there's a little bit more hope for the the palkia and then like, yeah you maybe ice rider also makes its its way back into the deck as well so i think there's some potential for palkia for sure but yeah this is where we want to kind of hear from you guys if there's a deck that hasn't been good for a little while that you know you think has a chance to be breathed some new life into it with new cards let us know in the comments or maybe it's something that has never been super competitively good and then now all of a sudden has a chance to be good uh, that's one of my favorite things to see happen in the pokemon tcg is like when some old card was unplayed and then a new card comes out and all of a sudden boom really good card that like what almost happened with reggie like ev max right um but then you know it didn't so <laughs> yeah and i feel like uh Vessel is that card potentially, right? Like mm -hmm. it's it's giving some life to the Reggie Jago V Star. Um, it's giving some life to the Reggies. Um, a lot of the, yeah, the Reggies <laughs> in general, I guess, are getting some life breathed back into them. Um, and will that be something for uh, other decks? I think because I think also Palkia, right? Vessel is also the reason that we could see Palkia. You know, that's a huge boost for Palkia. Palkia really misses the bucket, right? Really misses the bucket. So it would love to. Love to make its way back into meta relevance again. And yeah, that's really the main one, right? I think that is the one to look for for sure has been Vessel. So what else combos with Vessel? I think is going to be a big question in the past that can now be used uh, currently. And with that being said, that's all we have for this week's episode. We're going to get into our bonus episode now over on Patreon shortly. In the meantime, though, we got to send everyone else out of here. Thanks a bunch to everyone for listening and supporting as always. If you want to show your support, be sure to do that by leaving us a rating or a view, a comment, a like, whatever it is, depending on where you're watching. Super easy, free, and uh, super fast as well to do, and it helps us out a whole bunch. Let's more people discover the show. And if you want to stay connected with us, the best place to do that is, as always, over on the website formerly known as Twitter which is x.com. You can follow me at Chipperchi Azul at Azul underscore GG. And you can follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Yeah, appreciate the support as always. We'll catch you now next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. No longer on the Tuesday, but we'll try and be consistent with the Wednesdays. Wednesdays from here on out. We should be able to be more consistent. Have a good one.